This is the Amner Martinez Podcast. Welcome to the Amner Martinez Podcast. My name is Amner Martinez, and I will be your host. I am an immigrant from the country of Guatemala, and I've been living in Iowa since 1995. My professional background is in the staffing and recruiting industry, and I have been heavily involved in the local entertainment scene for the last 12 years. In this podcast, I will be sharing conversations with local people in entertainment, business, sports, nonprofits, food, arts, and culture. So stick around for some great conversations. Okay, so episode eight. Is this episode eight? Eight. This is episode eight. So for this episode, Catherine Dickel, a uh, Des Moines entrepreneur, uh, the owner of Midwest Ticks, came in and blew my mind. Nice. I mean, she, um, I thought we were going to just kind of talk about Midwest Ticks and her projects, but the I'm conversation. one. Huh? I'm going to change your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, seems like your life is just not popping, so yeah. I'm going to go ahead and change it. <laughs> it was pretty pretty nice. insightful conversation, man. The, again, this is one of the reasons why I'm loving doing this stuff, because um walking away a better person with every single conversation that I've had so far. So um, Catherine was no exception. Uh, we talked about well. So she's the owner of Midwest Ticks. She's also involved with City Sounds. I don't know if you heard of City Sounds. Yeah, actually, so, uh, I uh, I rode my bike past it. Okay, so it's the, basically it's the group that organizes. Um, they're behind the project where the pianos are around the mm -hmm. city. Yeah, uh, and they. I mean, it's not just pianos. I mean, these are um, artists. Each uh, artist paint the pianos, uh, and they had a. Um, great opening last week. Um, but anyways, if you see a piano in the streets and you start playing it, it's because of yeah, it's um, the, Catherine like, like and... The uh, one across the street from where I work. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's... that's She's behind that. Nice. She, we also talked about Pollinate. Um, she's behind... She's starting this project. It's going to be uh, like a women's retreat, digital detoxing. So like getting away from your phone. Yes. Nice. So... We talked about um, social media, privacy. We talked about, you know, the validation that we seek for in, in social media. We talked about parenting. Uh, we talked about the lost art or love for, you know, writing a letter and mailing it to people and just the whole process okay. of it. Um, we talked about midlife crisis versus a midlife transition we talked about death, um, the fear and sadness of death. Um, I mean, we this wow. is, we went pretty deep. And then we also talked about, you know, the size of your peanut gallery. Like, how big is your peanut gallery? My peanut gallery. <laughs> My peanut gallery. <laughs> it was small, but yeah. now it's getting bigger and bigger. But she's saying, like, make it smaller. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that part, dude, because it sounds twisted. <laughs> I don't so, think, do you yeah. want your peanut gallery to be small I or big? I don't think I want to talk about my peanut gallery, bro. 
<laughs> but yeah. this is a very insightful, very intelligent podcast episode. Awesome. And uh, yeah, just sit back, grab some tea, and listen because she like just you know breaks it down pretty good. So, um, mm. so uh, episode eight, Catherine Dickel. Cool. Let's hear it. The Amner Martinez podcast. To do a horn? That was a horn. That was a horn. <laughs> Don't do the horn. Don't do that. Okay. All right. Here you go, guys. Enjoy it. Multiple Goodness. times during the day. One, two. See, this is better. When you're on social media or whatever, it's not. I, I won't say that. I, I'm very authentic with my social media too. But it, yeah. there's always that. There's always that protection that you have. Did you feel like yourself. we've learned how to be more real with ourselves with social media? Like seven years ago, you know, everybody was a little bit more bipolar than they are now. I remember a lot of people just pouring like a lot of negativity uh, of the of their lives um, or complaining. They would only complain. Oh, sure. And then they were happy and dandy the next day. Sure. Uh, yeah. um, which I guess that's real life, but but I remember somebody saying like, "Man, it feels very bipolarish." I feel it, like it, people were not didn't know how to use the platforms right. to like really um, uh, express their true life. Mm -hmm. Where now I think it we're m more um, uh, more level headed about it. Yeah, I uh, I think you know I I have a really like love hate relationship with with the digital life, um, but. So I, I say that in preface to everything that I'm going to say moving <laughs> forward um, because I use social media quite a bit um, and I, I find a lot of positives about it, but I find some amazing negatives about it too. Yeah. But what I think is like, what I think is really interesting is that by the nature of the platform, by the nature of social media, you really can't experience somebody whole as a whole person, yeah. wholly. like you really are stepping into a fractured world sure. just by, you know, like how people are sharing and how mm -hmm. you are like receiving information, right? Even the feed is very fractured. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you're going through your feed, you're seeing like all these different things, like somebody's having a bad day, somebody's having a good day, somebody's put an article on, somebody's having a political rant, somebody's like, so it, it's, it's a very like fractured experience to begin with. And mm -hmm. I think that's why people like, unconsciously struggle with it and i think it does have a lot of repercussions for our our psychological and spiritual wellness because mm -hmm. we're in that fracturedness and that's not yeah. that's not where our spirit really wants to be or live yeah. in a whole place so what i think is different now is that many of us are starting to understand and wake up to the experiment right so yeah. remember you know, I think the iPhone came out in like the mid aughts, right? 2004, mm -hmm. 2005. And, you know, when that happened, we all just like gladly, you know, we were like lambs to the slaughter in that way, right? We, we all just like gladly got our new phones and it was really exciting and it's a new technology and it's, and it's a whatever, but what it actually was underlying all of those things was, um, it's, it's really a massive human experiment yeah. and none of us really like gave our um, like informed consent for that moment because mm -hmm. we didn't realize that we were in it. Yeah. But I think now that we've had, you know, we're going into like 15, 20 years of this technology, we're starting to see like the, yeah. the, the byproducts of it a little bit. And so yeah, I think yeah. people are being more, um, I, I'm certainly being more deliberate about what I put on 
Facebook or social media. And somebody was saying to me the other day, um, she said, oh, you, she's like, your feed is just so like beautiful and spiritual. And it's just, it's, you know, it's like kind of going to church in the morning. And I, you know, I said, well, I said, thank you, because that's, that is my intention with that, that Uh space, because uh I don't put any, I, I rarely, let's put it this way. I rarely put anything political on it anymore. I rarely bitch. Um, That doesn't mean that I'm not pissed or I don't have something Mm -hmm. to bitch about, but I also just feel like um, I don't, you know, I don't want to like propagate a bunch of that into the world. Mm -hmm. Like if if I'm going to have the choice and the option um, that this platform gives me, everybody's become a a publisher, right? Then I choose to, to kind of put things out there that make people reconnect with their um, contemplative mind, mm-hmm. push them back maybe off of social media. Like, oh, I want to, I want to put something on there. Like, I, I put something on today about the role of, of the spider in my life, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I want people to read the work, and then I want them to stop, stop on the feed, mm-hmm. right, and say like, oh, yeah, and think for a while. You know, like yeah. just slow that process down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that there can be really beautiful things about it. I think we just all need to be very aware. We yeah. need to, we, we need to be aware of ourselves too. I like, was very anxious about sharing my full, and I think that's what we did in the beginning was, um, oversharing. Yes. You know, and then, um, you know, now I feel more comfortable, but I, I, I felt that there was something that I needed to offer before I was more out there. Well, and I, I think one of the things that's, that's also happening as we evolve into this this world is, and I, I've been reading a couple, because I'm, I'm working on a digital detox retreat right now, so I'm, I'm reading a lot about this topic. It's funny okay. that we're, we're, okay. topic, we're, we're talking about it, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I've been reading um, on is a couple articles about this whole idea of reclaiming our private sacred space, right? That mm-hmm. in the social media world, we've been encouraged to like put it all out there. Yeah. Like, and, and that has like kind of been, I don't know, people have draped that in, in this sense of like authenticity or vulnerability. And sometimes it can be those things, but there's a, the other side of the coin to that is, um, what is, what, what is special? What's only for you to know and, and what's important about yeah. things that are only for you to know or, only for some people in your life to know, like your best friend or your, your spouse, or if those two people are the same person, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you know, that, that is, um, that's a space that needs to be reclaimed from, from the social media, um, experiment that we've been in, like, and that it's okay to reclaim those things. Right. And, and I think for me, the gauge to that is, um, cause I'm pretty, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty uh, like intimate with my posts because I'm usually posting about something that's like in a, a deep space for me. Okay. Um, but I think one of the, the keys that I have is um, to, to decide like when, you know, how far am I going to go or, or whatever is, um, is this something that need, if it were shared offline, if it was shared with a person, right? One person, would this be, something that would be honored more in that way. Like it would yeah. be more magical. Like if, if I had something like, 
for example, because I went through this experience a couple weeks ago, let's say like I had just lost a friend, a really good friend, and I was in like some mourning about it, and I was experiencing some grief when I came to this mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm trying to get through my day, and I'm, I'm trying to work it out, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, so I'm going through my day. But I came here, right? And I sat down, and before we started talking or anything like that, I told you like, oh, I'm really struggling today, and maybe mm-hmm. I would cry, and maybe I would share this really important piece of my life at that moment with you and I would trust you I would give it to you and I would let you hold it and hold my space and be there for me right and you know I I would feel the full um, power of your caring and love back for me right Mm -hmm. which it's that's a really important moment for a human being to feel like I'm giving you this and you're you're holding it and you're giving me back this love yeah that's not an experience you have on Facebook with what you know how many people are in your feed a thousand people in your feed and and you know maybe 150 are gonna see it you know what i mean so when i think about like what do i want to share i always think to myself like is this something i want to share for the betterment of humanity yes if it's something for the betterment of humanity if it's something about me that i feel that is going to help somebody else it's a share if it's something that I need something from, right? If I need attention, if I need love, if I need space, if I need all these things, then it's a no because I need that in real life, right? I I need, I need to have that real moment of love and caring and anger or whatever it is, right? Like a lot of people will vague book, um, things, in their relationships, right? Like they'll want to tell a person about something that's bothering them. So they'll put a vague, uh, you know, they'll put some post on Facebook that they know that the person's probably going to see, yeah. right? And um, instead of getting the real moment of confrontation on that and the real reconciliation and whatever that's going to end up being with that person, they got a Facebook post. Do you think that a lot of people are being this thorough with their the how much they share? Because some people don't seem to... Some people are sharing... Uh, every moment almost right yeah I, I i but you know when i see you know like there's been some things where i have thought like whoa um i'm not ready to hold that space for that person right that's yeah. the other thing yeah. is is like um i think we also have to be conscious about that right so like let's say i put out there that i was grieving about my friend right i'm doing that thinking like I need people to know what my grief is. I, I need people to hold space for me, right? But I never like even got a chance to read the room on that. Yeah. I just gave everybody my crap. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I haven't asked for permission or even gotten a read on whether or not those you know, anybody out there in social media land is prepared to hear that. And I think that's another thing that we're not we're just coming alive to right now is understanding that like we're taking in all of these people's really deep stuff you know like oh my dad just died or oh my you know i just lost a baby or like all of these things and you're just on social media and you're like oh my god she just lost a baby like are you in a space to like take that in Mm -hmm. and process that yourself emotionally then you feel like a like a like a piece of shit if you don't like if you're going like oh my god that's messed up right but then the next thing is like like you keep on let's say i'm a person let's say i'm a person that lost a baby in the past right and i'm going through my social media feed and i just see that somebody in my community lost just lost their baby 
right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared. Maybe I'm having, then maybe that triggers a whole line of stuff for me that I wasn't prepared for. And so people, you know, they get off social media and they wonder why they're depressed or they wonder why they're feeling not that great or maybe they are feeling great. Maybe they got super inspired, whatever. But I think like what the thing is, is like, are people really in touch with their emotional, um, the, the emotional ramifications of that kind of shared and disconnected space? Because if somebody, if I was in the real world, right, and um, this friend of mine that's on my social media feed had lost a baby, right, and I was with them, maybe we would share, I would be able to really fully share my concern, my condolence, my, it would it would have meaning around it, right? Mm-hmm. I would be able to hug that person or I'd be able to look them in the eye while they were crying. I would be, and I would also be, a willing participant in that moment, mm-hmm. right? There's a um, a lot, of, I think when you're with somebody face-to-face, just like we are right now, we are able to read each other's body language mm-hmm. and we're, we're able to read each other's human beings right now. So I could sense right now, if I start talking about something that started bothering you, your whole body yeah. would change. And I would know, like maybe I need to be more careful here or maybe I need to ask or maybe, you know, all that goes out the door with social media, right? And so you're missing some major components of human human interaction and thus it makes it more complicated on the back end for people to process that, to to integrate it. So is that something that um, a certain generation is thinking about the way that you're thinking? Um, Because I am, I, I, I think about what i share and then i catch myself sometimes you know wanting to kind of uh share something but then i feel guilty because that moment should only belong to me and the kids and you know whatever moment is happening with me and my wife or me and the kids or um so there's some there's a there's a slight second of like should i even do i even need to post this like this is mine yeah but then it's cool too but so i guess my question is um you know, I'm 38, so we, I don't know how old you are, is this still, you're out now, this, you're 38, you're out, yeah, everybody, no, is this still, um, <laughs> are we still in an era that, that women don't like to be asked how old they are? Oh, I'm fine with being asked, because I believe age is a spiritual issue, not a, a physical issue, because okay. I, I mean, remember, it's like, oh, you don't ask that, no, no, right? I'm 46, really, yeah, wow, yeah, I'm 46, I'll be 47 this year, so, what? Yeah. You look yeah. like my age. You look like you're in your 30s. <laughs> well, I used to say thank you to, com- you know, comments like that, you know, but I, I think like... as a woman, like as I get older, I I have had to check myself a little bit about this whole idea of um, feeling complimented about staying young looking yeah. and being young. And so now I don't, I, 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 I always used to say, oh, thank you. And I used to feel like, oh, you know, uh, yeah. and I, I would give myself a little like check mark in my <laughs> inside of myself. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I don't got look, that. I don't look 46, good. you know, but now I'm just saying like, um, I appreciate that you're being observant, mm-hmm. but that I'm not trying to own whether or not that yeah, makes yeah, me yeah. feel good about myself right now. Yeah. Um, because I know that those are things are fleeting, right? Sure, like yeah. at some point I'm not going to look like, uh, I'm going to look my age. <laughs> right? So I guess what I was saying is that, um, so I still remember, I mean, yeah, the cell phones, I remember still having a phone in the car in the mid nineties where it was like a brick. My sister had a Lincoln, mm-hmm. uh, and it was like, it was a, 
big old phone, like a house phone in your car. Really, yeah. it was built in your car. Um, and then, uh, you know, towards the late 90s, it started to get a little bit more digital, but still not, you know, and that's when privacy, we were holding privacy so tight. I remember privacy being very um, valued. Like, yes. Um, and I have no idea <laughs> when we lost it, but now we're here, you know. My question is, so we're, we're we're in a generation that that experienced that full private kind of you know s- social media less world. Right. So we're thinking about that stuff. Like you're that you dove into that, but yeah. who, what about the generation that was born into it? That our kids. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about people that are you know early twenties? You know that right. pretty much grew up in it, and now that's how they know how to communicate. I can't say from like an experiential space right now or any research space what the different generations are um how they're like waving through this but i can speak to to my experience so i i am generation x right so Mm -hmm. i'm the last i always call our generation the tsunami generation okay (laughs) because um we're really that generation. We're the last generation to really experience some things that are never going to be experienced again. And, right. and my favorite, my favorite um, example of this is when I was in high school. My friends and I used to communicate through little notes. Right, we mm-hmm. would spend our study hall like writing notes and on paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, paper. It's, uh, yeah. It starts with a P. Yeah. It's like this like white stuff that's around. <laughs> anyway, um, we would put it on paper and. Um, we would, at least my friends and I, we would fold the notes in this really intricate way, kind of like an origami way. Right. Uh And then we would like write little stars or hearts on it and the name. And it was almost like a gift. Mm -hmm. And then we would like see them in the hallway or the next class and we would give it to them. And then they would get this little rolled up piece of, you know, folded up piece of paper with Mm -hmm. hearts and stars on it. Right. And they would open it up and it would be like a thing and you'd read it. And then you could like go home. I had like a whole box of these at home when I was a kid, right? A shoebox. Yeah. Well, I just go home and like put all these in there. And that doesn't happen anymore because everybody's just texting each other, right? Yeah. So I think one of the things that my generation and I think it's really it's one of the reasons that my generation is is not more important than any other generation, but I think we have some important work to do as, as we move through as, as a civilization is, is to kind of, um, hold on to some of these things and to, um, make, make space for them again. So a couple of, so this last year I decided to get offline for, I was going to just, I just decided I'm going to do it and see how long I can do it. Right. And I announced that I was doing it, of course, because as you would do on social media, (laughs) (laughs) you announce what you're doing. And I was like, I'm signing off. You know, if you want to see me, because I was getting really frustrated because I felt like a lot of a lot of the relationships that I wanted to be having weren't happening because everybody was getting really lazy with me and I was getting lazy with them. So, and I was like, so if you want to see my kids, if you want to find out how my kids are doing, come over, let's have dinner. If you want to see my flowers in my garden, come over, I'll show you my flowers. Um, if you want to, you know, find out what I'm feeling about politics, let's go have a coffee. Like, let's take it back. Right. And so when I, what I did, what I decided to do was I started to decided to start writing letters to people instead of doing any kind of like social media. 
And I went to this pen and paper store over in Valley Junction and I bought some really beautiful paper and I bought these like wax seals and um, I just started. You were going back to the 1600s. <laughs> I did. I went way back, right? But I mean, I love pen and paper. So it was, it was a really, it yeah. was a nice indulgence for me again. Yeah. Um, and I started writing these letters and I started like, and I realized as I was doing the process that it takes time and it takes effort and it takes um, a willingness to mm-hmm. make space for it in your life, to actually write a letter. Yeah. And when I started doing that, my whole like time just started expanding for me, mm-hmm. right? I would sit down and I would write, I would start writing and I would end up writing like six pages, yeah. right? And I would say so much more about what was going on in my life and in my heart in these six pages than I ever would do on a text message or I would ever do um, elsewhere. And, um, and, and then when I got done writing it and I folded it and I put it in the envelope and I put the seal on it and I knew it was going to go and it was going to take a while to get to the person in the mail, right? Cup like four or five days yeah. maybe. And then they would have to read it and then they would take time to, maybe they'd read it a couple times. Maybe yeah. they would really let it sink in and then they might respond back. So I wouldn't get a response from, from that for like maybe a month. Yeah. Right. So, it was like I got really okay with the process of that and like the beauty of time and the beauty of anticipation, yeah. right? And and how my mind created this whole beautiful like uh, moment around what would happen when they opened their mailbox and there was a letter <laughs> like, from me, uh, right? You yeah. know, and um, I really love. I just I I love. I still do letters. I I'm back on social media, but I do letters and I find it so. It's so rewarding. Hmm, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, do try it. I mean, and it's funny because you I talked to a gentleman, um, a couple, like, I don't even, my, see, my time is all, like, messed up, right? Yeah. I can't even tell you. It's, it was some sometime in the, like, last six months. Um, but he's a... Sometime before today. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know where I'm at, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, he is was in his early 20s, and he... Um, is a very uh, creative uh, person. And I, I saw some of his work online on Instagram mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to meet with him because I just really enjoyed his work and I wanted to find out what his perspective was and, and whatnot. And so we met and we had this conversation mm-hmm. about like, you know, he's coming from a space where letters just aren't in his consciousness. Like, yeah. I mean, like pe- pencil, paper. And he, you know, I was trying to explain to him about this, like the beauty of it and, and whatever. And he was not, I mean, I, he I, wasn't connecting. It was, he was, it wasn't connecting. It wasn't, it was just kind of like, I think because he'd never had the experience of being without the digital life and, mm-hmm. and, and fully in a world that was non-digital, that, that it, he couldn't understand what it was like to get a letter in the mail yeah. like how special that was and how and and i i challenged him i said you know um because he was he was telling me that he was like dating this woman out of town and he was texting her and i said you know what would it be you know like write her a letter mm-hmm. just write her a letter and go through the experience and then tell me how it went you know yeah. so i think that you know for my kids um your kids mm-hmm. um i think it's really really important to be very diligent about balancing their lives because we're 
It's not like we're going to hide them from it. Sure. Right. Yeah. That's not happening. Right. But we can balance that situation. We can say, we can offer them, like we can offer them the moment where we rewrite a letter to Oma. Right. Or we, um, or receive cards from people and we really take them in and we, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that it's, it's really going to be important that we, we not only provide these experiences, but we carve, we're, we're in, a, in some ways I do feel as a parent, I don't know how you feel with, with the twins, but mm. I feel like in a constant battle with, with it, you know? Oh yeah. Like, um, totally. you know, like, especially just, if you're all about being, um, conscious about you know what you expose them to or not because right um i'm assuming that there's i guess when you see people in the restaurants i guess you only see them for that short period of time but our kids have never had a tablet at a restaurant to us that's a little <laughs> bit to us that's a little bit like well, you know and then you know we see <laughs> families that like yeah. there's four kids and they all four have some kind of device and the adults are just um everybody's zoned out everybody's like zoned yeah i mean everybody's got the phone on or the tablet on so is it like a lost art form kind of like calligraphy the the art you know writing letters calligraphy yeah you know i mean yeah all of that like using your hands like i always think of like digital life as kind of like the fast food is fast food Mm -hmm. and like the uh, the non-digital life is like the slow cooked meal right so i'm bringing this to you because i know that you eat a lot of yummy slow cooked food (laughs) right and 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 have and and so then also think about like if we use that metaphor so you know when you're you slow cook the food that not only is the food in there and the time in there, but the culture's in there. Mm-hmm. The, the, love. The, the you're, It's in your whole house. You can smell it. It's yeah. like amazing. You know what I mean? It, it, it imparts on your brain like this memory. So like your kids yeah. are forever when they're like in, when they're our age, if they walk into a house that smells like loudest food, they're immediately going to think of, of their family. They're going right. to immediately think of that love. Right. Right. They're not going to think that way when they smell McDonald's burger. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be like, oh, this burger <laughs> smells like mom. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I, I think what I'm trying to say here is, is like we need to be conscious of like how digital experience um, for me, digital experience is very much like that kind of addictive <laughs> yeah. short term. Bam. You know, it feels good. It is good. Blah, blah, blah. But on the other side of this, the things that really last, the things that make your DNA yeah. you know, respond are these things that are more slow and visceral and physical, you know, I mean, I was even reading an article the other day about how the sex, <laughs> the sex rates in the world are dropping. Like people are just not having not sex having anymore. More sex. They're not <laughs> having sex. Right. That's Especially in good. like Asian cultures because they're, um, there's there's becoming a digital replacement essentially yeah. porn is yeah, yeah, is yeah. the first wave of that digital replacement but they're you know they're talking about like you know basically sex uh robots and stuff like that where people won't have to actually deal with <laughs> right <laughs> seriously they won't with other people like, they won't have to deal it. with other people that was the exact point of the article was it's... is that you people are are because of this digital world right where you um you don't learn the fine art of human contact, right? So like think of our kids. I told my boys this a couple of months ago. I said, 
because they want to get a cell phone. And I said, you guys won't even be looking at a cell phone. They're nine and 10 right now. I'm like, you guys won't even be looking at a cell phone until you hit double digits, mid double digits. Yeah. Like, and they're all like, oh, mom, like there's kids at our school that already have in my class that already have a cell phone. And I don't think that's fair and blah, 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 blah. And I said, let me put it to you this way. I said, the first time that you tell a girl that or a boy, whatever you choose, that you love them, I want you to be looking them in the eyes. Yeah. Right? I don't want you to be telling somebody that you love them on the phone. Yeah. And the first time you tell a person that it's over, I want you to tell it to them in their eyes. Right? Yeah. I w you need to have these moments are too sacred and important to have with a prophylactic phone. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's what's happening is we're utilizing these phones as emotional prophylactics for life because it is messy and it is hard. And it, it, it and I think that it's just kind of eroding our authenticity and our ability to be honest with it's each other. It's hard to be parents nowadays. It, it, it is. It's hard to be everything. I, I mean, I don't know because I never have lived in other times except for my <laughs> other previous lifetimes that I only access through <laughs> astral travel. But um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about that. What I mean by that is our parents didn't have all this, um, you know, usually a lot of people when they start a conversation, I do it all the time too. Or I start off like, so I saw this documentary or so I read this article right. like that. Um, so I think there's so much information on how to parent and what to do and all this stuff that no matter what you read, you can find something that will justify the way that you're parenting. Correct. Where our parents were just like, I just got to provide shelter for you and keep your ass alive, you know, and like make sure that you're, you know, completing some schools, uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, like that was, it was more basic, right. you know, um, then now it's so much information, so much shit, so much like everything that. Right. And I think this is also like signaling, um, a pretty hard shift from, um, humans, human psyche um, being ex internally validated as opposed to externally validated, right? So like, so when your parents um, were raising you, um, they probably did a lot of their rearing on gut instinct, right? Uh -huh. Like, hey, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to let them go play with those neighbors over there because I don't just feel, I don't really feel right about that. I, I, th those people give me the heebie-jeebies or, yeah. oh, I totally trust that that family and it's cool and, and whatever. But um, so you, you kind of like keep working that kind of internal muscle, right? Mm -hmm. That voice in your mind that says you have the answer. Mm -hmm. You can trust yourself, right? We're, our society seems to be moving into this world where we do a lot more external validation. We're looking for an article to tell us we're okay. Yeah. We're looking for a therapist to tell us okay, we're okay. We're looking for social media to tell us that yeah. we're, we're okay or this is how to do it or whatever. And we also are looking towards the benchmarks that are set up by external world to, to say that we've done it right or we've done it successfully. And I think this is another way we have to kind of pull the rope back to yeah. the other side, which is saying... I need to practice internal validation. I need to um, trust. trust myself. I need, and so I, I was talking to a colleague the other day um, and uh, she was just saying like, oh, you know, there's a lot of change going on at my organization and, um, you know, and she's the instigator of a lot of that change and she was kind of concerned about what people might be, you know, 
how people might be reacting to that change and whatnot. And I said, you know, what I've learned over the last couple of, you know, maybe the last 10 years or so, as I get older anyway, is that, um, you know, the size of your peanut gallery is needs to be really what, wait, what? <laughs> the size of your peanut gallery needs to be really small right the, the size the, of your peanut 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 gallery, gallery. Right, right what do you so, mean by that so there's this there's this phrase that is um it, i'm really bad at those by the way right, so. that's okay that's okay so i think the phrase is something like um you know what what's the word from the peanut gallery which just means like it's, it's like all the your your community right okay. how are people like peanut gallery is just like all the people i see out okay there, right? i gotcha okay and and so um you know i was telling her that you know the the my peanut gallery has gotten really small <laughs> and the only people that are in that gallery are people that i uh, you know have had experience with enough to trust what they have to say yeah. and, and I trust their opinion because I've seen their life and I've seen how they've worked through problems or I've seen how they've built something or whatever. I've, I've just observed and experienced them as human beings enough to yeah. say like, okay, that person, if they tell me that they, they think this way about something, I'm going to listen, right? Because yeah. that's based in like a real human relationship. So I told her, you know, just make sure that your peanut gallery is really small and then fuck the rest of them yeah. basically. And I said, and the peanut gallery, the first person in the peanut gallery is the mirror, right? Right. The first person that you always have to, should ask if this is right. If this is, if this is good is the mirror. Yeah. So check yourself first, check in with yourself first. Mm -hmm. if, if you're feeling like, okay, am I doing a good job? Go to the mirror, look at yourself in the mirror and say, Am I doing a good job? <laughs> really look at yourself. Like don't, you know, I've told this to a couple people um, that I work with in my consulting businesses. It's like um, make friends with your mirror because you don't really ever look at yourself a whole lot, right? Spend, I'm going to challenge you to do it today, later, right? Go into your bathroom uh -huh. or mirror and spend five minutes and a solid five. Put a timer on. Okay. Put a solid five into the mirror and just let yourself have the experience of looking at yourself in the eye mm -hmm. and see what starts to come up. What does yourself say to yourself? Right. Yeah. It's quite fascinating when you let it happen. I'm going to try to do that too. <laughs> yeah. And then you, and then you start to like, if you make it like a ritual practice, right. Yeah. Where you like, okay, every, every week I'm going to go take five in the mirror. Then you start like wanting to go back. Right. Because yeah. you get deeper and deeper and deeper and you get more connected with yourself. Sometimes you want to stay more than five minutes. Sometimes you want to do it every day, right? Yeah. And that's 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 a practice to help like build that internal Not validation to, muscle. to look at your features. No. <laughs> <of your face. laughs> well, that's okay too. I mean, you can be like, wow, like you know, I look tired, or I yeah. like every day. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, those five yeah. minutes, just let them happen. Right. right? That's why you mean. That I mean, there's mean? been times I've looked in the mirror and I've been like, shit, I look tired. Mm -hmm. And I and and you know what? I am tired, and I've been going so hard and so fast that I haven't even allowed myself to. Has to this see. thought ever crossed your mind? Because it's crossed mine, that, and I've told it to the kids. I think that living it, it, there's it's an art form too. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, like, I, like, I mean, yes, totally. Like, um, Especially I what I mean by that is, um, yeah, like you, there's a purpose. You have to purposely do things, like um, purposely say something, um, 
purposely wake up like work wake up on purpose not like not just wake up um well you know i am reading an amazing um author right now his name's uh, Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest. And I, I grew up um, Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore, but um, I'm not a practicing Catholic, I should say. I'm, I'm struggling with my Catholic identity as I <laughs> get older. But and, and one of the reasons that I say that is because I'm reading his books right now. And um, they're really, it's really awesome. But um, I just finished his book called um, Falling Upward. And I'm on to a second book called Immortal Diamond. But um, which is the follow-up to, to falling upward. But in falling upward, he talks about um, how life is really split into two um, distinct times, right? And the, the subtitle of the book is Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. And he says in the first half of life, there's this, this, um, this Bible verse where Jesus talks about um, life is kind of a, a wine skin. Okay. So a, a, a container for wine. Okay. Okay. So he talks about his, his basic premise is like the first half of life is where you build your container. Right. Okay. So you, and that's all very external based, like your career, your identity, your family structure, your, you know, all these things that set the, the container up, right. And make yeah. the container. And then the second half of life is about what you fill the container with. Right. Right. Which is a totally different proposition. And usually between the first part and the second part of life is some type of reckoning or awakening. In our culture, we call it a midlife crisis. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is really, really unfortunate because it's actually a very natural part of evolving and becoming a mature healthy spiritual person yeah and we have set it up as being something that is tragic and, right and, like, and 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 we haven't we don't have ritual around it and we don't have we don't make space in our worlds around it and we there's a lot of shame involved in it and i yeah. think you know as i read this and i i i'm in midlife and i'm going through a lot of that myself and i have a ton of friends that are too i mean and it's it's no joke right it's yeah. it's the real deal <laughs> like you start questioning a lot of stuff yeah like what are you doing with you, the rest of your life with your work um where are your relationships with your kids like um you know all the things all the things that you all the things you had your identity wrapped up in start to kind of morph a little bit right and um and it's 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 good it's good the questioning is good yeah. that the change is good right um and so I, I think that I, I think if you are intentional, so you talked about being, you know, living life is an art form, right? Which right. for me, that implies you, you have some intentionality in your life, right? You're not right. just like in the first half of your life, a lot of people just go with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> I go to, I, I, I grow up. I graduate from high school. I get a secondary degree of some sort. Mm -hmm. I get a job. I marry the person, you know, maybe the first second person that I slept with. <laughs> I, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you, a lot of people make a really quick jump from one nest to another nest. Yeah. Right. Um, they, you know, they, they tow the line, they make the money, they have the kids, they go to church, they, um, they do PTA, they do all the things, right? Yeah. You just, you do your, your life and, and everybody looks at it. Then they're like, they're like, Oh, look at yeah. you. Check you're, mark, you check are mark, just check someone mark, doing, doing, you're it, doing, doing it. Some, it yeah. Yes. Right. Like, and you're like, oh, wow, 
sweet. Like I am doing doing it. it. I'm doing it, man. My bank account is solid. I got a wife and I got kids and I got, you know, or I've got a husband and I've got kids and, um, I just, I'm 40 under 40. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm doing it. I'm, I'm good. And, um, and then at some point, you know, if you're, if you're living intentional life, you kind of wake up uh-huh. like, Hey, I woke up to my job. <laughs> I just decided, Hey, I'm, this is not fulfilling me creatively. And what am I doing here? And yeah. like all this kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, you made a choice to make a change. A lot of people wouldn't make that change cause you had a solid, right? right. That was a solid, yes, yeah. steady income, solid, whatever, but you're intentionally living, intentionally living, Right. So those things are, you know, those things are balanced by other things that are important to you, which is like, this has to stimulate me creatively. I have to be growing as a human being in what I'm spending most of my time of the day doing. Right. Right. Um, So if you're living that artistic and intentional life, you will hit this point in your life where you'll be like, oh, I'm going to die. Yes. I'm going to die. Like, that's a real that that, then that's usually what starts the process. Yeah. Right. You're like, and I think for, because we both share Warren, I think that Warren's death started that process for a lot of us a lot sooner right? because he died so young. Right. right. And we were all just like, what? Whoa. Yeah. You know, like th- what, what, what just happened? Yeah. I, I think when you start realizing that and, and a friend of mine once put it in the most beautiful way, he said, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of summer and I'm looking into the f- the autumn, like I can see autumn, mm-hmm. like in life. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's really where you hit when you're at midlife and you start asking all these questions and you just start saying like, okay, you either, you either, um, turn away from it and you keep living in first half life or you turn towards it and you start filling the bucket, so, the bucket up, so, the container. Um, you brought something up that, you know, like death. So, um, I'm like 50-50 with death. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than most of us. <laughs> no, so so <clears throat> so there's a few things that I say that that I say to everybody. Um I usually say I feel like I'm just cracking my eggshell. And right. and I say it and it's kind of funny, but I really feel that way. I really generally feel like my life is just getting started. Um I'm I'm like grasping things. Welcome to midlife. I know, right? Right. So, so, so I know. It's the midlife party. There Can you I go. get you a cocktail? Ah. <laughs> oh my God. Which I just got the chills right now. <laughs> um, another thing that it's been happening to me more and more is I've been thinking more about death. Um, and sometimes it just makes me sad to think that we're gonna die like we die you know and and this isn't new before was like whoa man like we freaking die man like (laughs) you know it just every once in a while and the very it's uh randomly pops up um but now it just makes me sad because i'm like god there's so much more that i want to do you know Um, so it's like it's not being afraid of death it's just like there's a sadness to it because you're like man we're just passing along through here um yeah, uh, I mean, when you start seeing like your your own true self and your own potential, right? Like, I just had a very extensive conversation with a group of women friends about this death fear. I have death fear, but and I'm trying to figure out where my death fear comes from. I've had I've experienced I experienced death kind of early on in my life than most people, significant death. 
And um, I, 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 what you're saying really resonates with me because I think when I drill down to like what is scaring me about it, it's that I won't be able to do all the things that I want to do. Right. I won't be able to complete that. And then the other half of that is because I have been through significant death and significant loss. And I, I, I've seen that from the survivor side of things. Uh-huh. Um, I know how traumatic and painful it is. And I think about the people that I love having to, to go through that mm-hmm. with my passing, my children and my friends and whatever. And um, I know that can also be a very beautiful experience, but you're not going to get away from the pain of that. And yeah. so that always kind of like, I always want to put that stave that off because you never want to see anybody that you care about and in you know pain um so i think you know and i i don't really have a good answer for that yet i mean Mm -hmm. i I feel but i it is something that i'm really trying to be as present as possible for like even if i see like i i play this word wordscape game on my phone right that you you make words and Anytime die comes up or death, I'm just like, ooh. Like, <laughs> like, so it doesn't uh, get any better then? <laughs> you know, I mean. I mean, I, you know, I, I trust myself, like I said, as a parent. Um, I don't try to tell anybody how to parent their kids, you know, because yeah. I think it's disrespectful of me to try to say something. But so I'm like, I kind of put this in there. I was like, everything has a solution what's the only thing that doesn't have a solution and they'll answer with death they'll be like death death is the only thing that you cannot fix that's it everything else with time or with whatever like you will find a solution so my relationship with death (laughs) is is more um it's like an engine like i don't want it to come yet right so i want to do more so because i think about it quite often um maybe daily um and i think that's healthy like i think uh, that's another thing that i like to kind of tell people or you know like do your posts on facebook like i think everyone should think about death or contemplate their mortality for a few seconds each day you know just to kind of give you that extra push that you might need that day Mm -hmm. like i could die tomorrow or today yeah you know um i guess from the religious point they look at it very passionately. Uh, I'm not religious, by the way. <coughs> but they are very thankful that they wake up and they thank God and they think, you know, for giving us another day, you know. Uh, but there is got to be some gratitude with it. You know, even though you're not religious, mm-hmm. there's got to be some gratitude that, that you're here. You know, like the odds of you having a life are, I think, slimmer than winning the lottery. You know, <laughs> right, right. So, so you have to be like, hey, I somehow i have this life <laughs> right you know, and it, how do, it's what finite. do i do with it it's finite and i think once you start coming into awareness of that um it, it becomes more and more untenable to live anything but authentically yeah like so wh- whatever part of your life you're pretending in whatever wherever you're hiding wherever um wherever you're not being yourself and you know you really know where that place is right um even if it's something that's really you know, important in your world, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not who you are, if you're not really authentic to, to, to your soul in that space, I think that becomes more and more difficult to stay in that space 
the more aware of yourself that you become. So I think this is why you see a lot of transformation during midlife, right? People really understand like, okay, um, I, I got into this career because I needed a paycheck to support my family, mm-hmm. but I don't love it. Yeah. I don't even like it. Yeah. I've always wanted to do this, right? So imagine like this is the thought process that you're having. And then you come home to your family and you say, I am going to completely blow up everybody's security <laughs> level here. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to be, I'm going to go try out to be a major league umpire, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, I just pulled that out of thin air, but you know what I mean? Like the, the courage, first of all, the amount of courage it takes to like say, okay, I've been living my whole life for other people and not yeah. myself. Yeah. Which is in our culture is very, um, that is held up as a high standard to mm-hmm. live, uh, to live your life for other people. Yeah. It's called sacrifice. Um, and I'm, I'm not a fan of sacrifice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and, and then to, so to have that courage to like step into that space and really look at yourself in the mirror and say like, Oh shit, like this isn't where I want to be. And then to like move past awareness and into action is just one of the most difficult things that a human beings have ever to face. Yeah. You know, because we, we can, I think that our culture is quite, you know, we're talking about all this information that we're all hit with all the time. I think our culture is really in tune with awareness. Right. Uh, and if we're not, we can access things pretty easily to get into awareness space, mm-hmm. but getting into action space is way more difficult yeah right um that's when like fear starts coming in to just kind of like um really consume you and you know one of the things that Richard Rohr brings out in his book is that if people were allowed to be in that scared space a little bit more if they were if they were told that it was natural and it was okay and that change was actually their destiny right changing transformation was their destiny yeah you can't be resurrected if you don't die first. Right. Right. This is like the basic tenet of what he's saying in, in mystical Catholicism or uh-huh. in mystical Christianity. And he also points out that it's also the, the main um, myth of almost every other culture. So if you look at Buddhism, if you look at um, Greek mythology with, with Homer and the Odyssey and, and all of these stories that have been propagated throughout our civilization, they all have the same thing. It's all like hero has a life right hero dies hero resurrects himself right, right. right something something along that line so but you know a lot of people get through the die space <laughs> <laughs> the resurrection parts are really hard yeah right it's it's really difficult and what what i am what i'm trying to do with the work that i'm moving into and in, in the back nine of my life is to create um ritual and action and space around that area. Yeah. That, that transition space is profound. It's holy. Yeah. It's natural. It's good. It's all of these things. You, ne- you need not be afraid of it, right? Like you can take all of the things that are important to you with you through that space. Yeah. Right? Um, I feel like if people can get that message and they can like internalize it, then the resurrection part will be 
you know, available. I think when you said action, um, there's a naturality to it, right? Like, so some people are just naturally doers. Right. Right. So, um, but uh, I think, I feel like I am one of those people. Like, I feel like I act on my... I would concur. <laughs> I feel like I act <laughs> yes. on my thoughts and I push through and I, and there's all that. Like, fear is probably the first thing and that's where most people kind of like they stop and they there's 10 excuses or reasons why and they justify it and then you like you feel okay with your decision not to go through with it because these 10 decisions these 10 reasons justify my inaction um so fear happens um uh, and then people stop you know you push through it and it becomes more experimental you you start walking into unknown territory and to me that's exciting as hell like that is where I'm most alive, where I don't know anything. Okay, well, let's put this in a different context, though, okay? Let me put you in a context where it might not be so um, exciting. Right, wait, 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 no, but let me finish my thought. So I guess one message that I wanted to put out there is that, you know, like you're saying, you want to create this space of, uh, what did you say, action? and uh um, right i want to i want to create the space for the the resurrection to happen so right. that, that we we can move from awareness into action right and but what i was going to say is that like there's really no secret to it though like really it's just when a thought comes to your mind all you have to do is act on it and, and i know that that's very simple and i'm not you know um conveying what i'm trying to say but that's really um what it takes is you if, if there's a thought that excites you and you're like, oh, man, this would be cool. Like, <laughs> it would be cool. That is the one thought that you have to grab onto and then figure it out. Just like dissect it a little bit and just start seeing what is your, what is the next little step for you to, to get towards that to that goal that you that thought made you feel so happy about. Right. Let okay, me push me back a- slightly on that. So. And I do agree with you on all those things. And that's easy to do when you can see something that is a, you know, has a lot of positive Positive, vibe around it. Right. So one of the um, things that has happened to me through um, my transition, midlife transition period is that I um, choose to transition my relationship with my partner and my, Mm -hmm. my, the father of my children, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as my, or otherwise known as my husband. Uh, (laughs) And that's a cool um, term. And well, I mean, my husband, my husband, that, that goes out to Mandy Hardy. She, she coined that one, but, um, but I use it quite, um, a lot when I talk about my, uh, my former partner, if you will. Um, and I do that because I, I am, I struggle to find language that really, um, describes what I went through and where my, um, my husband and I are now. Right. And so, the reason I bring this up is, is, um, I've been doing a ton of writing about my transition, right? I don't even uh-huh. call it divorce because it just doesn't even feel like d- divorce has got so much baggage around yeah, it. Yeah. Like, um, but you know, when you, when you confront something that you know is going to bring pain, yeah, right. When you know that it is going to severely alter the world's your own world and the and world of others around yeah, you, yeah, yeah. right? That's not such an easy action step to take. And yeah. I, I wrote a whole, I wrote a piece that was, I think it's seven. It was the lies I told myself to stay in my marriage. 
It was the lies you told yourself. The, the seven, I think it's seven lies I told myself to stay in my marriage. Okay. Because we had kind of a, a we had a, a really I, what I call kind of a cancer death with our our relationship, uh-huh. um, with our marriage anyway, not our relationship, and so it was really like a slow burn, <laughs> like for for years and years and years we tried to work on it and get uh-huh. it get it sorted out and uh-huh. and all this and then you know, we finally decided like, Hey, this, it really does need to have a transition. And we, you know, and we decided to move forward in that direction. Yeah. Um, but, uh, in that time period, when, when you first start acknowledging that something's not right, like your soul's just not at peace. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I often, when I talk to people about this, I say, it's like, I'm, I wasn't looking, you know, everybody's like, well, marriage isn't supposed to make you happy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, just everybody How needs dare to, you. <laughs> yeah, people need to lower their expectations about what marriage is and they need to understand sacrifice and, you know, the whole, the whole like line of, of thinking there. Yeah. And I often, you know, whenever I hear that, I always say like, I, I wasn't looking for my marriage to make me happy. Mm-hmm. I was looking for peace, like yeah. peace. Yeah. Okay. And when you realize that you're not aligned with yourself, you can never find that peace. And then it always just kind of grinds at you and grinds at you and grinds at you. And that was what was happening with my relationship with my husband was that we were not in alignment and therefore we were not in a peaceful space. And it was, it was eroding all the things that were beautiful about us Uh and, um, and all the things that weren't beautiful about us were taking over. It was, it was like that cancer that was kind of taking over the, and, um, it took a long time to get out of that. And, and I real like, you know, looking through the, you know, that, that whole cycle and that whole process. Now, when you're away from it, it, it becomes even more nuanced and beautiful. But um, would you say that, that, so you know that that action to your, what do you call it? Separation? <clears throat> you don't call it divorce. You call it transition. Okay. It was just, it's our transition. So yeah. when you, would you say that, when you started to um, act towards that transition, which you said compared to my, there's the positivity one where you have this awesome idea and goes, and then there's this other one that you're like, you know what the actions that you're going to take are going to hurt others. But, but that action is walk you are, you are walking away from something that is, as you described, cancerous. So if you're, if you are, taking action towards something that could potentially harm other people, you know, um, that means that you're really walking away from something worse. Right. And, and I think like ultimately that's, that's, that's what I understood. And was that like, whatever we were trying to make better Mm -hmm. wasn't actually the better place. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that it was causing its own harm to our children and to ourselves and and whatever. Mm -hmm. But, the the cultural pressure is significant sure uh, and um you know your whole life you're taught about like this ideal marriage and you know you, you there's there's a lot of um societal pressure to have a partner and be with somebody and you know that whole idea of being alone yeah right like that's you know for a human being that's the worst a nightmare you could ever have is being alone. Yeah. Right. That's not even in our DNA. Scientifically isn't in our DNA to be solitary individuals. Yeah. We're... So, you know, there's just like all this fear around those things and you, 
you tell your you tell yourself like these these lies that I told myself. Um, Where is this article? I haven't published it yet. Okay. I have, I have a lot of articles I haven't published yet. <laughs> I am getting ready to publish them. I just awesome. um, I have to do some. Um, I have to do some professional work on that, but I also have to do a little bit of my own spiritual work to let that out into yeah, the universe, yeah, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the, when you when you start unpacking, like, you know, I mean, so I'll give you an example. Like one of the lies that I used to tell myself was, I really, I really need this pain in my life. Like, you know, this is going to make me a stronger person. Yeah. Like the reason that this marriage is in my life right now is to teach me how to be a better person. <laughs> and I'm just going to be a better person. You know, this is going to make yeah. me better. You know, um, it, it never really did that. It actually wasn't making me better. Uh -huh. Um, it was making me miserable and it was, it was, um, it was causing me to, um, make, the person that I really loved and cared about, which was my husband miserable. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're, the mind is so powerful in that way. Um, change it, you know, change is a scary thing and you will, you can tell, and I'm, I'm not, I like change. Yeah. I'm probably one of the riskiest people I know. Um, I, 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 I think that I'm somebody who, um, thrives on change. You know, I always have, I, I always have my life in kind of, there's a part of my life usually that is always in kind of a constant state of growth or disruption nice. by choice. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I really like that space. But even me, who is uses fear as a, a tailwind as opposed to a headwind, struggled to yeah. like make this action, right? And um, I, I think that when I look back on it and I say to myself, wow, <laughs> what would have made a difference for me in this period of time, right? what would have i mean i i accept the timing that everything took and the process that it took as all divinely guided and so i i don't really look back on it and say like i wish it would be different yeah. but i do see that there's ways in which we can help all relationships become eternal and unconditional regardless of whether yeah. what context they're in in terms of like a marriage right so one of the things that I realized fairly quickly after my marriage was quote unquote over is that I, I was making choices to still be available for my husband mm -hmm. um, and him as well for me. Um, like if we ever, you know, we, we, st you know, we would, we, we had a really great divorce in a sense that like we handled it ourselves. There was no lawyers involved. This is the byproduct of a really slow sure. decline. And we had had a lot of talks. And you a guys lot were of on the same page we on, on that. Yeah. You know, we, we just, when, once we made the choice to transition, then it was like pretty clean because we'd been working on it for so long. Right. Okay. And, but you know, I realized like, wow, I, I'm actually really unconditionally loving this person right now because I'm spending time talking to him about, you know, something that's important to him and mm. I don't have to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he's coming over to cut my branches off of my house. He doesn't have to be. Yeah. Right. Like all of these things, these ways that we were being supportive of each other and caring about each other, um, were real choices. Now there was yeah. no training wheels on that moment, you yeah. know? And I, I remember telling him towards the end that, you know, this isn't the end of our book. This is just the new chapter. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be here when you're 80. Yeah. I'll, I'll wipe your butt. I'll, <laughs> I'll, 
I'll, I'll help you, you know, like, so once you realize like you have a, you know, you think your two, your, your choice is when you get married, like Mm -hmm. you're making that choice and that commitment when you get married. But most of us aren't really, we're actually in love with this fantasy of what marriage is and, Mm -hmm. and what, you know, what it means to, to unconditionally and eternally love somebody when you go through a transition process with somebody and, um, it's, it's no longer about essentially who you're sleeping with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's more about how you are present and available for that person. Um, it it kind of just, it it made me realize like, whoa, like this is what a true commitment looks like. Right. Like, you know, when you, we were able to let go of the things that we were never going to be for each other. And then once we were able to do that, then space kind of opened up for the ways in which did we you, could. Did you, and that's an kind ongoing of did process this on your own or like, did you kind of seek or would just, did you dive into books or did you do anything that, uh, we, that I mean, we did all the stuffs. I mean, we went to counseling. <laughs> we, um, no, I mean, when this, this, how you're describing it, the separation, um, was there a center of information for you that you were kind of so like that you were kind of no. like a fountain of information that you were like, or do you, you went through it and now you're looking back at it and like, this is, I went through it and I'm looking back on it. And, um, like some of the most painful point, it, it's quite incredible because some of the most painful points of my marriage are becoming the most, some of the most beautiful moments of, mm-hmm. of my, my relationship. Yeah. I also realized that like nothing about what, is sacred between me and Ryan, who's the, that's the name of my, my husband. I I don't, we're not, we don't have to let go of any of that sacredness. Like for example, I remember a couple months ago having this vivid um, remembrance of the birth of our second child. And we had our kids at home and we had him in a tub and Ryan was in the tub with me when I birthed both of these children. Uh And I'm like, that's never going to happen with anybody else. And it's so sacred and it's, it's ours and it's going to be ours for the rest of our lives. Nobody can touch it. We can't even touch it. (laughs) Right. Like we wouldn't, well, people can touch it and they can ruin their relationships in a way that they never get to experience the love around that. But for, for me, I was like, you know, I, it, it reconnected me. Like once I got away, I think from, the pain and there's definitely like when you make the choice to go through a transition it's there's pain and there's like you have to kind of you're trying to feel it out like Mm -hmm. okay how am how are we going to move forward like how is this and it takes time it's not you know i'm not saying this was like oh i just like i had the most rosy experience and nothing ever sucked and (laughs) and you know blah blah and it's still you know it still is hard because we're human beings and the things that fuck us off about each other still fuck right now like you know that doesn't change but once I realized like, oh, okay, being divorced doesn't mean like I have to like let go of any of the sacredness. Mm-hmm. Being divorced doesn't mean I have to let go of caring and loving about that person or being present for them. Like once I, once I rejected all the things that people had told me about divorce or how divorce is constructed in our, our culture, it started like opening up just a whole bunch of possibilities about like. But this is, you, you, you're tapping into a new kind of, um thought process because like that's not that's very non-traditional like people hate each other after they're right well um, they're never nobody's ever given like people always say to me like oh my god how did you do that right like i'm a couple of people have you know suggested and i that i 
write this in a book. So I'm working on potentially putting a lot of this in the book because, and what I think that the major problem is, and whenever I talk about this with people and Uh I talk about my experience, they, you know, if they're struggling, they want to know like, oh, how do I get that done? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, the, the other thing is like, once they see like, it's a, it's a real possibility. It's a real model. Yeah. Then they, it becomes, it becomes like real right now. My, a friend of mine who is from the gay community told when we were having this conversation, she told me, you know, like the gays have had this down for years, you know, like decades. Like, I mean, really? Yes. She's like, this is kind of standard, standard fare and, and in the gay community because how come they didn't share this with us? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that the interesting thing about that is like, you know, you know, gay people never had to buy into the marriage bullshit, yeah. right? Like, they it wasn't offered to them in the first place. So right. they were free to construct their relationships, their entering and their exiting any way that they wanted to. Like, they didn't have, like, a lot of that baggage, I think, heterosexual, especially heterosexual monotheistic yeah. people have around what it means to enter into a relationship and leave a relationship. And um, so ergo, they just, they have eternal relationship. I mean, I have a friend, a gay man who, um, you know, hospiced his lover, his former lover to, you know, to the point of him dying. Like, you know, and he, what they hadn't been lovers for like 10 or 15 years. Right. But he was there for him. And they still had a really strong bond and, you know, they just accepted that, you know, their relationship evolved into a new space. So you said you're writing a book? I am writing. Uh, a, well, I'm, I'm writing. I am writing. I'm going to try to get it into a book. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's got a book somewhere in its future. I just don't know what's Is going this on. Is something with it. just kind of, and I kind of wanted to get on that a little bit on what you're involved in. I feel like Dude, we've already been talking for a real I know, I know, but like just kinda at least let's touch it a little bit. Um so um So what well, you go go ahead, go ahead. Well I was gonna say so you should understand that I am going I have gone through a pretty significant transition in yeah. my life. I'm in this midlife um this beautiful midlife space and um all of my life has changed. So my life with, with my family has changed. And then also like what I'm choosing to spend the rest of my, whatever time I have left on this planet doing has changed. Yeah. So I have like kind of reclaimed, um, that space. And, and so part of that is, so everything that I'm, I'm really kind of focused on right now is within that space. I still, Obviously, I'm, you know, the founder and CEO of Midwest Ticks and Midwest Ticks is awesome and, and doing well. And, you know, it's kind of like that kid that's ready to go to college, sure. right? I'm, I'm going to be an empty nester in some ways, I feel like. Um, Are you selling it? No, nope. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's just like I have a great, you know, I have great staff and that, that run it really well. And yeah. so they, that has given me some time. My soul cries out for something m- more, um profound sure you know i made you know i've made a good life around midwest ticks but it's it's not it's not my life so and correct me if i'm wrong but uh, so are you behind like the pianos all over the city yeah so the piano project is is a big thing in in our world and um i run that with an amazing board um my best friend from high school and my business partner heather who's like my wife basically Uh both run it with me um and we have an amazing board as well so yeah we we're doing that and that's expanding um 
both like that's expanding in what we're doing actively with the pianos and then also what we're doing with our mission. So, and that's, that is, that is mission work for me. So one of the things that I told myself when I made this kind of like turn, um, was, uh, everything that I was going to spend my time doing moving forward with my life had ha- had to have real meaning yeah. to me yeah, and real meaning to my world. City Sounds has got a ton of meaning around it for me because music is the fire around which I dance. Yeah, like, it's amazing. It is. It's 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 so, and that's why we got into Midwest Ticks, you know, is to do more things around music. And then um, I have a new business, I guess you could call the business, called Pollinate. The first thing that we'll be doing this year is a, a big women's retreat in October um, up at the Y Camp in Boone. We're partnering with the Y and... Um, and we're creating just a really amazing weekend for women to, um, connect to themselves spiritually and pollinate their lives basically. Um, and then we've also got, you know, so the digital detox workshop that I, or retreat that I was talking about earlier. Uh Um, and we're, we're looking at doing a couple other retreats, um, in 2020 around caregivers. Um, that's all happening within pollinate. And I also do like some like transition consulting, I guess is the best word to describe it. Usually with people that are building businesses or wanting to move into, you know, kind of like, um, purpose-driven life. Um, so that's part of pollinate as well. Um, and then one of the things that I've always, I put on the back burner when I was younger was, was writing. That's like, that's my art form. I'm not, I'm not a musician. I'm not a painter. I, um, I'm, but writing is where I get in the zone. Well, Catherine, <laughs> we're going to have to come back into 2.0. You're going to have to come back, right? Oh yeah. We'll do it again. Yeah, okay. for sure. And where, where can, where like, so this pollinate, where can people find the information or are you still, that's still not. Um, well you, we have a website that's kind of in construction right now, but you can go sign up for our newsletter, which is at pollinatewellness.com. Um, and of course, city sounds, uh, right. org. That's the, the piano. We're also launching a new project for city sounds called icon music through the lens, which we've taken, um, we've matched Des Moines finest photographers up with their, with the finest musicians and they've created Rolling Stone cover type iconic photography of these musicians. Oh, so nice. that'll be an exhibit that we're opening there. Um, and then hopefully phase two of that, we'll be getting that out into the city and empty storefronts and random areas all over the place just to kind of raise awareness about music and the musicians that make music here. So nice. Um, so yeah. And if you have an event, just go to Midwest. If you need ticketing, we're always here. (laughs) We're here for you. We do it all. We do big and small. We do reserve. We do general admission. So yeah. Thank you very much again, Catherine. And, um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, I'm so glad. I know what the peanut gallery is. <laughs> Were you afraid there? It's making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's good, good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. your peanut gallery, how big is I, your... Yeah, I, I love it being really small. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, there you go. Excellent um, episode. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, Catherine, go to Midwest Ticks or city sounds uh and i as she mentioned uh the website for pollinate is under construction but you know definitely 
If you're a woman, you qualify, so you can't go. I mean, you probably could go. Cause you probably could go, <laughs> even with um, your facial hair. But why do we? Why do men? Why don't we do stuff like that? Do what? Retreats. Retreats? I don't. I don't do retreats. You know. I mean, I it. Why don't we? You is know that what? what you're you know what? This is like. This why is, don't we? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels like. Um, Listen. Uh, so this episode. It was. I bet you that more women connected to it because their higher, uh, their intellectualness is way higher than ours, man. We di- we don't connect to this kind of level of mentality. That's why they're capable of, of retreating themselves, with themselves. Yeah. Okay. You know that's because they're, they're mentally they're in a different level but, than we okay, are. We so we're afraid like to do you, that. If you really believe that, why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. I'm just but saying. You're like you want to laugh. Like no, no, your no, nose, no. like your nose. Because of my intellectualness, ever. doesn't allow me to see it. <laughs> to my intellectualness doesn't allow me to see it the way women see how like they do getaways. Women do all these getaways and retreats, um, to be better and become yeah, it's better. Yeah, probably because they're more in. And men in were tune. afraid. They're in tune with their spirituality a little bit more about their sense of self that's probably why yeah and men we always focus on just stupid shit so. yeah we're idiots that's why i mean the fact that i mentioned it to you like why don't we do retreats and we have no answers because we're afraid to be looked at as weak or something yeah i think so too you know that's, so, that's what it so is. that's why i mean that they're like in it's, a different it's like level getting, than it's like are. getting men uh, like pe- pedicures yeah which yeah. is like the shit right getting a pedicure but, is like the best thing ever right 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 and you're like walking on clouds <coughs> afterwards right uh, so we're missing out we're missing looks, out yeah we yeah, should definitely. go on our retreat kenji no <laughs> <laughs> i'm good thanks man all right well thank you everybody for listening um hopefully we'll keep on rolling this uh episode after episode so listen to the episodes tell us what you think give us some feedback and uh hopefully everybody enjoyed it just as much as we are so far so um have a great evening and we'll see everybody soon